0: Anytime you're selling anything, it's very basic. It's how do you get people to hear about you? How do you give them an experience that they love so that they can go out and tell more people about you, right? And that's that's the recipe, the formula, the secret for building a business. And I'm suspecting that I'm going to be finding that this is also the secret for building a profitable uh, career as an author as well.
1: Are you a mom with a story to tell, but not sure where to start? Publishing a book is kind of overwhelming. Now throw kids and babies into the mix and you got a lot going on, but that doesn't mean you can't build yourself a thriving author life. My name is Jackie and I'm a mom and an indie author and I'm here to show you how step-by-step to get your books written, published, and sold, even if the only time you actually have to write is during your toddler's afternoon nap. It's time to write like a mother with these moms, right? Hey, guys, it's Jackie. If you are listening to the show, you are probably a mom and a writer. But do you have an MBA with demonstrated success in building a six figure company in sales? Probably not. Sometimes I wish I knew how to think as a business person first instead of as an author. Well, today's guest, Caitlin Cogan Domner, shares that perspective. This mom of three left behind a highly accomplished career in business and coaching to pursue her writing dreams, and in this episode, shares how she is navigating the publishing world as a newcomer in writing, but an expert in sales and business. If you have ever wanted to change how you think so that you can start changing the income you earn from writing, you need to give this show a listen. Please welcome Caitlin Kogan Domner. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here, Jack. So I'm so excited to learn about your story. You have a background in business and coaching with high performance teams. Mm -hmm. You have a whole career in this area. And now you're traveling the world and writing children's chat books or middle grade fiction. Tell me the story, how you got From The transition? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I think my whole experience of vocation has been seeking more and more freedom. So I got my MBA and then I became a stay-at-home stepmom because I married my husband and had a six-year-old son suddenly. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't get to climb the corporate ladder. I have to figure this whole entrepreneurship thing out. Um, How do I make money from home? And so I tried a whole bunch of entrepreneurial endeavors and failed miserably at most of them uh, until I started, I partnered with a gentleman, Nate, and we started building sales teams. And that really took off. We kind of hit a sweet spot in the market. And, and so he went on to build his own marketing agency and I I continued to run virtual coaching sales and the company builds sales engines for coaches and consultants. So I had no experience selling, no experience marketing. I didn't know the first thing about anything when it came to building a business, um, except for a graduate degree, which was not particularly helpful when running a business. And, and then instead, we, I, I was like, okay, now I need to grow. And I was really committed to bringing my husband home. So he was working like 80-hour weeks at Verizon Wireless in the retail, uh, working every holiday And I was like, you know what? That's not the life I want. So I got virtual coaching sales really successful. We were doing uh, multiple high six figures every year. Um, And he was able to come home. And it just, it got to this point where I realized, you know, I've been so afraid of being the starving artist. Because remember, I went to school, my undergrad was an English major. I've always enjoyed writing. I've always enjoyed painting. I've always enjoyed the arts, but it never felt safe. I never felt like I could do them because I had to make money. I had to be the breadwinner and all those pieces. And it finally got to the point where I was like, okay, I I no longer have an excuse to put this off, right? I've been so afraid of being the starving artist that I've starved my artist's heart. And I I was just coming up empty and burnt out. And I was like, you know what? we need to make space for this. Um, And one of the shifts that really helped, I did some coaching work around this idea that, man, I'm never going to be as successful as an author as I am in my business career. And it was so helpful. My coach was like, who says that, right? Like one one of the very few female billionaires is an author of children's fiction, right? Um, J.K. Rowling. And... And then it made me look at uh, all the other areas of my life. And she's like, What if you just simply took all of those skills that you've learned of marketing and sales and business building and applied it to the publishing world? Now, it turns out that is not as direct a path as it sounds. (laughs) Um, But it was just, it was affirming to me that if I trust my heart and follow my intuition and commit to creating like, to mastering a new craft, right? Writing takes work to improve it and get feedback and be really intentional about the rewriting process as much as the writing process. Um, And I'm committed to becoming good as, better and better as a writer, but I'm also committed to learning the craft of being a profitable author, right? I really want to master those skills as well, which is how do I Get people to know about my book, to be interested in my book, to uh, have a series instead of a standalone book uh, so really just trying to think about my art strategically and see if see if there's a way to combine those two pieces.
1: Mm-hmm. wow and 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 so also in the mix is now you're traveling the world with um your three children?
0: Yeah, just that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So part of that search for freedom, uh, eventually led Michael and I, as we were building our company, we asked ourselves like, what are we doing this all for? What's the point? And for both of us, travel was, it was like the number one thing that came up for both of us. And instead of saying, okay, well, we're going to build our business and then sell our business. And then when we retire, we'll get to travel the world, which is usually the way of it. Uh, we kind of said, well, what would it look like? We we've been virtual for 10 years. Um, what would it look like to homeschool the kids and do our work online? And, and it took us a couple of years to get the business to the place where it could survive without that kind of daily minute by minute attention, building teams, building systems. Um, but then, yeah, we just made the decision. We were going to do it. So we set the date July 1st, 2021. And we set that probably in 2020, like, no, 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 2019. Cause we really, we had spent a couple of years planning for this. So when COVID hit, we had to make some hard decisions. Like, do we stay? Do we go for us? We decided to get the vaccine because it was easier to travel with it than without it and, uh, and hit the road. And Basically, wherever people will let us come, we are going. So we started with like a six-week road trip across the U.S. because we realized our kids haven't seen their home country. So that's not great. (laughs) So we went from Los Angeles to Yellowstone, over to Washington, D.C., and down to Miami. It kind of gave them a panoramic view of the U.S. Then we went south to Mexico, Belize, Guatemala, Ecuador, Paraguay. And now we've been in Argentina for two months because nobody else will let us in. So... (laughs) So we're waiting, uh, and then we'll probably head home for a couple of months, and then looks like we'll be heading over to Asia and um, spending some time in either the Philippines or Thailand. Is the next stop for the spring?
1: Wow! So you've really been able to construct your business in a way that's given you this uh, freedom for mobility, freedom. Yep. Wow! What wow. that's amazing, mm-hmm. on itself. And then how is the, another big piece you wanted was the creative freedom to have time to write and to develop the skills in becoming a profitable author. So how is, how has all that been going?
0: Yeah, that is an ongoing journey. Um, it's never as fast as I think it should go. Right. And I'm sure we all relate to that. Uh, Whether we're at home trying to balance kids with writing or traveling and trying to balance building a business with writing, but uh, there. Yeah, I think. So I'm learning every single day, new things. For example, I just signed up for I don't know, some guy's Facebook ad course. I could go into my email account and tell you his name, but somebody was like, you have to go through this challenge. It's like a five-day challenge. I was like, okay, let's try it. Um, And I found some really great uh, author friends that like one in particular, she's, she, she's publishing a trilogy and she's like, two months ahead of me but she has the same mind she's an entrepreneur becoming an author and we are both committed to figuring out the mechanics of marketing a book as opposed to just writing a book and so she's been invaluable Amy Walker if you see her give her some love she's amazing but uh, she's been introducing me to places like 20 books to 50k is a one and then where Jackie you and I met with the moms who write group like just fantastic support systems online, and realizing like, just normalizing this whole author journey, and recognize that the ups and the downs are all the same. One person just posted their their annual revenue uh, from Kindle, and it was like in the $2 million mark. And they're like, I wrote 40 books, and it took me four years, but now we're making $2 million a year. And I was like, oh! wow, like this is a thing. Like I could actually make more money as an author if I stick with it. Right. And that's, I've got one book down. I've got five more in the series uh, to go, but then I realized, okay, then it's just the next series, right? It's just, how do you continue to publish? Because I'm getting the sense <laughs> if you're self-published pro like a pro being prolific, prolific. There we go. Spit that word out. Prolific is the key to being profitable. Mm-hmm. So things like Facebook ads, if you only have one book and you're driving Facebook ads and it takes you a dollar fifty to make $2 of profit on your single paperback book, that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. But if you can spend $1.50 to get people plugged into your series, and now they're buying six books because they fell in love with the first one. Now, all of a sudden you've made $12 on $1.50, right? And so it just kind of helps me understand the mechanics of like, ah, so everything gets easier at scale Um, Mm -hmm. and it's worth buying a customer when you can have them buy lots of stuff that you're doing. Whereas in the business world, we would pump out nonfiction as like business cards and you didn't have to make money as a book because all you were doing was trying to sell coaching programs or whatever on the back end. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'm a published author. Here's my book. If you like my ideas, let's work together. And mm-hmm. so you could sell a five, ten, dollars 50000 package on the end, and you could absolutely lose money on this little book that you're publishing. So now having to wrap my mind around, okay, if I want to make $2 million and I'm making $2 of profit, I need to sell a million books,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> it
0: is so much harder than if I'm selling like a $20,000 program. And so just, it's it's a completely different game with completely different rules and completely different objectives than the old game I was playing. But yeah, it's it's a fun, it's fun to learn a new
1: game. My mind equals blown right now. I I had never even thought about it that way uh, in terms of like, yeah, purchasing a customer which then gives you the profit from, you know, their, their current, their lifetime of sales. I think I would have Mm -hmm. even just the idea of a series. I'm, I think that a lot of us just think so much about like the craft and the voice, um, Mm -hmm. and like the artistic side. Yeah. But I, then I see so many mom writers struggling with what you're talking about now the getting visibility and sales and Mm -hmm. really that's the business side right Mm -hmm.
0: yeah i'm reading a fantastic book for the other half of my life which is called the prosperous coach and he draws a picture of like uh the box of coaching where coaches love the work of coaching and then another box where it's the work of the business of coaching And he's like, so many coaches love the first box and hate the second. And I feel like authors, it's very much the same way. We love the first box of writing because, man, that thrill of getting words on paper and watching characters say and do things that you had no idea they were going to say or do. Like, it's a magical experience. Um, And then there's like the pure terror of like, but what if nobody likes it? (laughs) And and so we don't go into that second box because we're afraid, uh, like there's so much ego in it. And I'm finding that a lot of the mindset work I did as an entrepreneur is really helping me as becoming an author, which is like, I just came to terms with the fact, like when you're wrestling with imposter syndrome as an entrepreneur or an artist, uh, or, my biggest thing is it's not original. I'm not original. I'm not blowing people's mind with my unique individuality. <laughs> uh, that, that realizing, th- well, number one, the Song of Solomon, the most wise man in the world, was 3,000 years ago. He said, there's nothing new under the sun. So it's just a great point of perspective that by uh, 3,000 years later, there's still nothing new under the sun. Um, and so the point is not to be original or you don't have to be unique. That's not a requirement for success. Uh, what is a requirement for success is being authentic and true to the message you have to share. And so honoring that muse in your heart, in your soul and allowing her to speak. And so that's the second piece is I've really just started viewing myself as just being the vessel. Mm. And Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this as well. Stephen Crestfield, The War of Art is all about it. But it's just this idea of like, the thing that I am creating is not coming from me, it's coming through me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it takes so much pressure off. And I mean, this concept comes as far back as Socrates, who claimed he had a demon whispering in his ear, demon, excuse me, but spirit uh, that whispered to him. Um, And so this idea that that our wisdom is not our own, it's just something that's coming through you. And your job is just to get out of it. way right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and so from that perspective it's how do we how do we honor that voice say that voice and then at birth it right? Cuz my like realizing as a mom we have this unique metaphor that we've all gone through where we gestated something that we're not entirely sure we're in control of. Like gestation is not a particularly active thing. We're like yes, I'm making a human, but hmm. really you're just the holding space for the human to be made, right? Mm-hmm. And and then we get to birth it. And when the kid comes out, we don't have a lot of say about whether they're smart, or whether they're funny, or whether they're successful, or whether they're bums, right? Like, this is not our job. Like, obviously, we want to shepherd their little hearts in the direction that we think <laughs> is best. But I have a fund for my children's psychotherapy when they're older, because I guarantee I'm going to mess them up somehow, despite my best efforts. Um, and so it's just kind of thinking that piece through of, okay, my art's the same way. My job is to birth this thing, send it mm. off with as much love and support as I possibly can, and then let it walk on its own feet. And if people love it, great. That's not me. If people hate it, great. That's not me. Right. But it kind of takes that ego out of the equation and says like it's it's like parents only get in trouble when they think that their child's success is a reflection back on them as individuals. Right. That's when we mess ourselves and them up. As long as we can appreciate that they are their own entity and our job is to love them unconditionally, uh, then, then that's it. That's That's the role. And so I think as moms, we have a really unique advantage as we come into this world of artistry where we get to understand that our job is to birth, not to micromanage.
1: (laughs) Wow. You said so many things that I was just loving so much. That quote about saying something true, not new, just reminded Mm. me there's a Seth Godin quote that I was recently you know it on social media which is completely that same idea and i love that because it really does take off that pressure mm-hmm. and um what you were saying like being open to that flow state and yeah. um right um and letting the words come out and i think what the exciting part is that as you mentioned then it, it's not about us feeling that every bad review is a critique of us it's this is our right. truth and are, yeah, you need to let go of, of that. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned helping the book stand up on its own two feet. And so mm-hmm. I'm hearing like the powerful mindset piece, which is key. What are you doing now to help your book? Cause I know, you know, I have a copy yeah. pursuit in Paris. Like what are you doing to equip it with those legs?
0: Yeah. Great question. And the poor little book has really not gotten as much of my attention. I'm, I'm like so focused on getting book two ready for sale that book one, I'm like, you know what? I'll market both of them when I get book two available for pre-order. Um, but I will say the plan. How about the plan? Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of things that I've actually already completed, um, the easiest one was Goodreads. So Goodreads giveaway, you can give away 100 free Kindle copies of your book. Uh, and that meant that like 300 people, I mean, like big fat numbers, right? were are interested in the book. <laughs> um, but I did see a spike in my Kindle Unlimited page reads uh, after like immediately after the, the giveaway. Now, this was an interesting piece because when I did the math, I was earning about four cents a page for Kindle Unlimited reads. So this is where Kindle promotes your book to their members. They, they're paying $10 a month. And they get to read up to 10 books for free at a time. Our family uses it constantly. We love it. We're constantly trading in and out of our library. Um, And I'm making, evidently, $0.04 a page. So when I did the math and I pulled up my 150-page book times 0.04, I'm making $6 when somebody reads my book for free online than the, say... $1.50, $2 that I'm making on the paperback and maybe $3 that I'm making on the, on the Kindle version. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, So that was just an eye opener for me. And it's, it's beginning to shift my strategy because I realized I don't have to get people to buy. I can just get people to read. Um, So for example, I did a post on Facebook, like, Hey guys, you can read my book for free. If you're a Kindle unlimited user, it didn't get much traction. But what I want to test is, is even doing ads, like to get people to read. And then the biggest question is like, how do I get them to stay engaged? So this is the part where I know how Facebook ads works. I don't know how Amazon ads works. That's why I just signed up for that course I was telling you about. Um, Because in Facebook, I can do retargeting. Somebody clicks on my website, Facebook tracks their IP address, and I can continue to hunt them down all over the internet with ads like, hey, you didn't actually buy this thing that you put in your cart, right? You guys all get these every single day. Retargeting ads are fabulous and have a really high return on investment. I don't know right now if I have a way to retarget my Kindle Unlimited users to say like, hey, you started reading. You stopped after chapter two. Do you want to come back and finish what you started? So that's the piece where I don't know what that will look like. I'm going to have to do some investigation. Um, But originally... My plan was just to sell books, right? Because that's what I guessed I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, did a couple of things. Um, I mentioned the Goodreads. The second one was in the Moms Who Write group. I basically asked, like, "Hey, does anybody want to support each other uh, for our launches?" And I think it was like a like ninety. Well, actually, it was more like one hundred and fifty people said yes, but only ninety actually like committed. their name down in the directory and decided they wanted to to participate book launch like a mother so was what we decided to name this support group and we've gotten like i think four women have launched the book through there so far um the idea is that we divided two plots so i learned a lot by going through this because i didn't know how amazon's algorithms work and evidently if you just have like all of your friends buy your book, and write you reviews uh, can seriously mess up your algorithm. Because if, let's say, you're writing an erotica novel, right? And all of your fellow homeschool, like or like little moms uh, from playground, are suddenly buying your erotica novel because they're supporting you as as an artist, not necessarily because that's the genre that they would typically purchase. Uh, All of a sudden, when your readers go to your page, it'll be like, People who bought your book also bought, like, Sunday mornings with Sam and (laughs) all of these, like, children (laughs) show up right alongside your erotica novel. So it's it's just recognizing, like, oh, you want to make sure that people who are in your genre, writing your genre or reading your genre, buy your genre, because that won't mess up the recommendations. Um, The other thing is that because so many people were buying reviews... Amazon now says, if you purchase a review, we can shut down your account. So instead, uh, and even if somebody does a review, but they haven't, they're not one of those verified purchasers. So you guys have seen that little label on your reviews, I'm sure. uh, It doesn't show up in other countries. It'll show up in the country where they wrote it, but it won't show up in like the UK. My US non-verified purchaser ads won't show up in the UK, but they will if they're a verified purchaser. So based Uh on that feedback I got from the moms in the group, uh, we broke it into two pods and we said, you have to buy the book or at least read it through Kindle Unlimited before you do the review. Uh, So advanced reader copies, these arcs that we send out are really helpful for things like reviews uh, on blogs, podcasts, things like that. And that's where I plan on using them here and I'll get to the future strategies in a second. Um, but they're less helpful for Amazon-specific reviews because that's where they want actual customers to write about it. So we made, we, I had, okay, and that's, okay, back one step further. Even as I was writing the book, I was, I was posting and soliciting feedback. So in entrepreneurship, we call this market research. <laughs> um, and so all I was doing was things like, um, hey guys, I'm writing a book do you think we should set the first book in Paris or I don't know where Rome. Right. And I did these like either or polls from the very Mm -hmm. beginning, even before I put words on paper, like what city do your kids resonate with? Uh, what title do you guys like? Which cover design do you like? Um, so every step of the development process, I was giving just my own social media feed. I only have like 3000 people on Facebook. I don't do a lot with Twitter, Instagram, all those other ones. Um, And just like, hey, if you're a parent of a demographic, right, because like nine to 12 year olds, I'd love for you to ask, which title do they like better? And that was an interesting one because I, at one point I was testing uh, like the mystery of the missing mushrooms versus Pursuit in Paris. And the younger demographic, 10 and younger, consistently chose mystery of the missing mushrooms. My 11 and older kids pulled... Higher with Pursuit in Paris. So it was really interesting that I, and I had to pick which demographic am I going to be targeting with the books. I decided I wanted the Pursuit in Paris title because that was the age group that I wanted to target. Uh, It turns out I did a Lexile uh, review. So there's this company, if you're in author, like young adults, uh, kids, and younger, like school. Um, I have to dig it up, but there's like this reading level evaluation that you can do. And oh. then, uh, so mine came back as like advanced fourth grade reader when I thought I had been targeting sixth grade reader. So I was like, that's an interesting revelation that my actual writing style came back younger than I had thought mm-hmm. it was. Cause I use big words and vocabulary and things like that. And I was like, oh, I thought I'd score higher, but it placed me there. Um, so it's just, it's so fascinating to like, see how, what I think the market wants or doesn't want or is responding or isn't responding. That makes a difference. The other thing is I realized from marketing that a picture sells, right? If you don't have the right cover, you could have the next great American novel, <clears throat> but nobody's going to buy it. Uh, it's because you're like never judge a book by a cover yeah the reason we say that is because everybody does right (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so that's where i spent a large portion of not entirely but actually yeah i think it was probably the highest percentage that i invested in my book because i tried out four different illustrators um basically bought a cover from four different illustrators And it wasn't, I think number three was the one that I ended up using. But again, wasn't my favorite. Number four was my favorite. It had like this dreamy realism. um, And the other one was like a cartoony, like more uh, mm, bold, uh, simpler design. And so the other place that I spent money was I hired a design uh, creator. And this was money that I probably wouldn't need to spend. <clears throat> but it was so helpful having somebody who trusted her artistic eye and her background in the industry when I did not trust my artistic eye and I had no basis in the industry. And she was the one who looked at artist three and four's covers and said, number three's it. For the demographic that you're trying to reach, you want three, not four. Uh, and it was hard because I, I had been all ready to go down the route with number four. And she's like, nope. Um <laughs> And she gave me feedback on like how we could edit it and how we structure it and making room for the title. And she designed the cute little sunrise that became the logo for the brand. Um, oh, another one was the name of the series. So the name of the book was one thing, but we were going back and forth between Domor Detective Agency because the book series is based on a fictionalized version of our own family or World Mystery Academy. And again, took it to the audience, consistently came back World Mystery Academy. So uh i will say that this is not like it, it's not the thing that i would have published if i had been in a vacuum mm-hmm. but i think the beautiful thing is that we're not in a vacuum and we can get feedback and as long as it's not like you're like no what i really want to write is like this poignant memoir and somebody's like No, turn it into an action sci-fi film, right? Like we're not going outside, but like allowing ourselves to be guided into uh, a a more aligned version of the text, right? And this is another thing is that I tackle some pretty hard issues in my books. In each book, I'm committed to tackling a huge social issue. So in Paris, it was racism. Our primary hero, like the, the person we're helping is a Muslim Algerian in Paris, um, female, <laughs> right. And so she deals with racism and misogyny in the context of the book. Um, uh, in the second one, it's Guatemala. And we're talking about the tensions between indigenous Mayans and their ethnic religion versus the Spaniards and Catholicism that came in. And how do you, how do you deal with that conflict? Uh, cause he has a mom who's Spanish and a dad who's eats them. Um, And so things like that. And so really uh, getting to share it with sensitivity readers and getting perspective and like, hey, how does this read? And even with that, there's still, uh, still the reviewer came back and was like, this is white savior narrative because you guys are white and the person you help is brown. And I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll I'll cry and I'll throw up and then I will write better the next time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mm. like wow he totally missed the point of what I was trying to do that's fantastic but that's Mm. I mean that's the nature of the writing is there are going to be the people who love it and this changes their world and they're going to be the people who hate it and think it should be burned and that's how you know you're doing something good is if people want to burn your shit like that's probably a
1: good sign (laughs) that you're making making waves (laughs) better or worse (laughs) i really like that line i think that should be like the whole byline for the podcast right <laughs> wow well i'm just so impressed because i've heard this tension come up about writing to market but i feel mm-hmm. uh, and writers reluctance to do that whereas uh, others really you know want to but aren't sure how and i feel like that what you're talking about is very Doable. I mean you're 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 just getting feedback from your market at every step along the way and getting feedback from also industry experts. I mean my title or my cover, I'm just like, what was I thinking for my my self-published novel? Like I just went off the deep end. I was like, I'm gonna take my own photo. I got a photographer to and a, like a makeup artist and like a model to do like this look because mine was set in Tokyo. So I wanted to have like this Japanese beauty aesthetic, but like uh-huh. it was just like me. I feel like I was just wanting to be like in the director's chair shouting at people like that's really <laughs> what it was about. Yeah. Because I didn't check in at all with anyone about does this scream like fashion industry for, you know, 14 year olds, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that is such a great reminder to really know your audience and to really check in with them in these ways Mm -hmm. that are, are, you know, woven throughout your process. Mm hmm. Wow,
0: And beta readers was so helpful. So I did a first draft. Uh, I got a developmental editor. She coached me through the second draft. I shared that with the beta readers. And then based on their feedback, I did a third draft. And I think that's the hardest part is all growing up uh, through my entire career in academia, I could sit down the night before, whip out a 10-page paper, turn it in the next morning and get an A-plus on it, right? So it, it kind of, I trained myself to get by with the first skim.
1: Mm. And
0: as I read more about the craft of writing, I'm realizing like, oh, no, this is not where you should be trying to get the quick A. Like, it's not about like, I see people who are like, I write 10,000 words a day. And I'm like, holy crap that is a lot of words every day. And I'm like, they can't all be good words, right? Like so <laughs> when many you're doing words. that much volume, like the only saving grace is somebody has got to come back with a machete and cut half of those things out, right? Like that's the only way that that makes sense as, as a, as a strategy in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I think it's, having beta readers having those sensitivity readers having people in your life who can give you feedback and ideally like as unbiased as possible and this is again where the ego gets in the way we're like i want to share it with people but i only want to share it with people who love and adore it (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's really important for the first run but then it's like oh but if i want this to survive in the wider market I have to have people that I actively solicit, like safe people, right? I'm not sending this to my mother for the first draft, like not a safe person in my life. (laughs) I will send it to her when I think it's fantastic. And I actively want somebody to poke holes in this thing and like kill it with some red pen. But that comes to like, it felt like I was building a relationship with my art, right? And I had Mm -hmm. to get to know what it was. And I had to trust it. And I had to be okay with with letting it grow up a little bit, right? It's going from Mm -hmm. art as an infant, where my job is just to protect my own ego, because because I can't handle it if somebody doesn't like my baby, right? To recognizing like, oh, you're a teenager, you got to learn how to make your own food, wash your own clothes and clean up. Uh, after yourself, your own messes, because you gonna be out on your own soon, right? And so that, mm-hmm. that writing the experience of first draft, second draft, third draft, 50th draft, right? It's, it's figuring out when is it good enough to survive uh, in, in hostile conditions? And so it's like working its way up. It's like acclimating it to, to criticism. You start with mm-hmm. people who already love and adore you and will tell you that everything you publish is fantastic and then working your way to the people who hate everything and will always find a way to to judge it. And like, that's perfect. We need need all of those people as our art grows up, but uh, knowing when it's the right season to invite that next level of critique, I think is important.
1: Yeah, I think this like awareness that you have, like it definitely took me going through the process of self-publishing and doing it all the wrong ways to then now looking back on it like, oh, oh yeah, like I, I, I see those things, but I definitely did not see them at the time. Mm-hmm. And I can only think that your background in marketing and um, coaching has helped you like see it in that way. It's like straight off the bat. That's impressive.
0: Yeah, there's a great book that we had to read in business school called The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And he talks about the three different hats that you will wear as an entrepreneur. There is the technician, there is the manager, and there is the entrepreneur. And the technician is the person who does the work. So a lot of entrepreneurs start their own plumbing company because they were plumbers for 15 years, right? And they're the technician. They know the work of plumbing. And then there's the entrepreneur. This is the visionary. They're the ones who see this grandiose vision. They want it. They they love taking risks. They've got a big picture of how this is going to change the world, and see everything. Um, but you should not trust them with any details. Like that's that's not a good plan. They're going to drop every ball that you throw at them, right? And the middle man, the manager there in the middle, is the person who kind of integrates the doing of the work with the vision of where you're going and says, ah, this is the day-to-day running of the business of plumbing or in our case writing. And so I think for authors, it's recognizing, like figuring out what you want, because some people, they just want to publish because it's self-expression and they have to get it out of themselves. And I love them. And sure, like don't, but like that's, that's a different goal than somebody who's like, no, I actually really want to become a profitable, and I'm not going to say successful because this person, if their definition of success is just writing it on paper and getting it out of me, fantastic. I suspect that sometimes there might be fear and laziness that is keeping us <laughs> in that quadrant. Not not always, uh, right? The Bronte series sisters were notorious for keeping all of their stuff in house, right? Um, but like, The entrepreneur says like, I know this could be huge, but it's the discipline of understanding the manager and the mechanics of growing, growing your audience. I mean, like anytime Mm -hmm. you're selling anything, it's very basic. It's how do you get people to hear about you? How do you give them an experience that they love so that they can go out and tell more people about you, right? And that's, that's the recipe, the formula, the secret for building a business. And I'm suspecting that I'm going to be finding that this is also the secret for building a profitable uh, career as an author as well.
1: Wow. It's so exciting to see you at this stage because you are at that exploratory, like beginner mindset. And so I feel like you're really able to articulate so many things that um, people stumble across and often prevent them from moving forward. like I imagine checking back with you in, you know, five or 10 years, you know, you're gonna be at that expert level. And so this is such a gift, I think now to hear mm-hmm. you identify those, those blocks as someone coming in, you know, from like laterally from another industry. And um, you have like this fresh eyes, but combined with like this expert background, which I think is a really amazing combination. Thanks, Jackie. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. know, it's great. Uh, Like, uh, yeah, you're you're just you're definitely a cheeky line of things that I've like struggled with, but not um, had the words to say. What would your advice be to the Caitlin that started on this journey when you first put pen to paper with Pursuit in Paris
0: for somebody who's starting out? Stephen Covey again. Business principle: Begin with the end in mind, right? One of the mm-hmm. seven habits of success that he talks about. Figure out what does what does this look like at the end, and allowing yourself permission to dream big. Um, do, I I really found that twenty books to fifty k helpful, um, and realizing ah this is possible. It's it's not going to be a short game. It's not going to be a one and done sort of situation, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> When they were like, if you write 20 books, you'll make $50,000. I was like, oh boy, honey, this is not a good career move. <laughs> like, <laughs> But then I see people who write 40 books and are making 2 million. And I'm like, okay, it averages out. But just recognizing like, if what you want to do is write professionally in the sense that you have enough money coming in from your royalties to pay for your expenses, right? And that that's a choice. But it's it's a goal that has to be reverse engineered. It's not going to happen accidentally or magically. We aren't going to just suddenly become J.K. Rowling. Uh, and we, I think that's the problem with hearing her story. Is like, yes, she got rejected by hundreds of publishers, but then she found Scholastic and she became a billionaire overnight. You're like, but you don't see like the decade before where she was just writing in her kitchen and talking to her kids and like trying to figure this out and. And you better believe Harry Potter is not the first story this woman has ever put on paper, right? So it's just recognizing that there's, there is a, a story that has to be told in your own life. You're growing as this vocation that you choose and realizing like it's a commitment. Like nobody comes out of college and says, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to be making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. It's like, no, I'm going to start at whoever will accept me because I don't have any experience. I don't have a name. I don't have a reputation. I barely have a CV. Um, And then it's like, okay, so in 10 years, if I consistently write 500 words a day and I study and I understand the principles of marketing and publishing and I do things like Facebook ad courses and things like that, um, yeah, this could be extremely lucrative, or at least sufficiently lucrative. (laughs) Which brings you back to like, that's the whole point for me is building the life that you want to live, right? For you, it may not look like world travel, uh, traveling the world with your kids. But if you did, this would be a great way to go. Like, okay, in five years, I'm going to write 20 books, and I'm going to figure out how to launch each of them successfully. And then when I'm on the road, all I have to do is podcasts to keep the engine running and bring in new readership um, and maybe publish some more books if I feel led. Like, but recognizing like, ah, you're going to invest the time to build the platform, the engine, that foundation mm-hmm. that is going to create the money, which is just choices. Money just gives you choices, right? But you get the choice of what you want that life to look like on the other side. So start with that vision and then reverse engineer what are the skills that i need to master and in what order in order to achieve that
1: wow that is beautiful and i really like that you also included a metaphor in there of this platform because i think that makes it very tangible like thinking about writing not as you know a notebook in a cold room somewhere but actually um you're building a platform and it takes time and it Mm -hmm. takes learning And like you said every opportunity connection to get there but it it isn't fast and so i think that is a really good good vision believing that
0: your muse is worth it right i think a lot of women in general moms especially uh perhaps because we give and give and give and our lives tend to revolve around these small creatures we brought into the world um but i think we struggle with our own self-worth and so getting back to that original idea of like, it's just coming through you and honoring the muse who's entrusting this story to you and saying, you know what? I think I may not think I'm worth it. I may not think I'm good enough, but I think she is. I think she's worth it. I think she's good enough. And I'm going to honor her by doing my level best to figure out how to get this message to as many people as it needs to reach as possible. Um, and yeah, that comes back to, to really going as deep as possible and getting as true as possible uh, as you can when you are just starting to put pen on paper.
1: Wonderful. I think that is a great note. To end on, I feel like you've taken us on an adventure yourself. You know, when you're talking about some of the ads, I was like, oh my God, I'm scared. And then I was like, oh, I feel happy now. <laughs> <laughs> and then you ended us on this beautiful, <laughs> uplifting note, which is just perfect because it is a reminder that it is scary at times. It's a roller coaster, but you know, you'll get there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So thank oh, you so much. This has been much. so much fun, Jackie. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. It's been such a blast for me too. Caitlin, where can we, where can listeners catch up with you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Come find me on Instagram at all over the map family or online. The website is world mystery academy.com for the books themselves, And my personal Facebook is just Caitlin Cogan Domner. and happy for you guys to connect with me and keep in touch with me. And by all means, come join the book launch, like a mother club. Um, where uh, it's it's still in its nascent phases, but uh, we'd love to have more moms who can support each other and maybe instead of two pods, eventually we can have like 10 pods and be more genre specific. Uh, but yeah, come find me at one of those places. I'd love to hear have a conversation and hear what's going on in your world.
1: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Caitlin. I felt like she shared so much heart and wisdom about marketing process that it really makes the whole prospect seem a lot less scarier okay so here are her top takeaways number one your job is to birth your book not micromanage it number two you don't need to say something new just something true number three market your research your book everything from where the book should be set to the title to the cover design can be informed by your target readers Number three, build up your Facebook friends to around three thousand so you can ask them your market research questions. Number five, remember what you think the market wants may not be true. Number six, pictures sell, and we've heard this time and time again, the importance of book covers. Number seven, when it comes to business, there are three roles. The technician, the person that does the work, the entrepreneur, the person with the vision and the manager, the person that integrates the vision and the technical skills. Recognize which of those you want to be. Number eight, allow yourself to dream big. Imagine the end goal so that you can then reverse engineer it. Number nine, remember it, it is a long game, but the ultimate goal is to build the life you want to live. And that is worth the wait. And number 10, Invest the time and the energy to build the skills that you think you need in order to achieve that dream. Thanks so much for listening. If you can take a minute now to rate or review this podcast on Apple or Spotify, that would really help ensure I can continue to bring amazing guests like Caitlin to your wonderful ears. That's all for now. I will talk to you next week. In the meantime, happy writing.